Hitler was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song. And they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Bomb, 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 Just in 
Welcome to 4th of July Eve. Welcome to Independence Day Eve. Welcome to Independence Day Eve. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to 4th of July Eve. You know, we have Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. I feel the 4th of July deserves an Eve, too. And it's July 3rd, which makes it Independence Day Eve. I wanted to do an episode this 4th of July. I feel like it's more important now than ever. And I, I knew that I probably wouldn't get around to doing it. And by the time I uploaded it and all that tomorrow, it would already be probably well past midday. So do it the day before and make it a Independence Day Eve affair. An Independence Day Eve affair. And so that last song, uh, you know what song that was. Done in a doo-wop style by Ruben Guevara. Guevara? I think Guevara. Not to be confused with the other guy. I'm not even going to say his name. Why even say his name on 4th of July Eve? Why even say the name of that other Guevara when we have that one, Ruben Guevara? And that, you know, it was doo-wop, but it was from the late 70s, which you could probably tell if you, you know, I did my best to kind of mask it a little bit, but you could probably tell it was a later, sort of a post-doo-wop, doo-wop song. I believe it was from the late 70s, but in it, you know, he says, thank you, America, for my voice. And he's obviously a Latino-American. I mean, you're not named Ruben Guevara when you look like me. So obviously a Latino-American man. And he said, thank you, America, for my voice. And what that reminded me of is right now I happen to be reading the Dog Whisperer's book, Caesar Milan. And a friend lent it to me. And I'm reading it because, you know, I'm a new dog owner. And, you know, I want to learn from the best. And there would have been a point in my life where I would have thought I was too good to read a book by Caesar Milan, the Dog Whisperer. But that time is not now. And I'm already, I'm about halfway through and I'm already learning stuff, but in particular about his history. And he came to America in his own words as an illegal immigrant. And he considers America the best country on earth. And I don't know if I agree with that. I've only lived here. I've been to a few countries. I've been to several countries. I've been to Canada, some European countries. I've been to South Korea. I haven't been to enough countries to definitively say that America is the best, but I think it's pretty great. And it's funny because some of the people who are the most vocal about that are people who came from elsewhere. They are immigrants, sometimes illegal immigrants, whatever you want to call them, undocumented. I know that people don't like the term illegal immigrant. That's what Milan himself referred to himself as in his book. It's funny, we're so attached to these words, and we're also equally attached to the destruction of words. And I would agree that some words are inappropriate, but the whole idea, the the illegal immigrant term is a funny one, because the argument against it is that people aren't illegal. And it's like, well, the term doesn't mean that human beings, that their lives are illegal. It's referring to their citizenship. And maybe it is better not to use that word if there is some confusion. 
but point being Caesar Milan used it. And, and it's funny, too. Let's just talk about illegal immigration right off the bat. Let's just talk about illegal immigration right off the bat here. Um, it's funny because you can hold conflicting or they don't even have to be conflicting. You can have a nuanced opinion or you can feel a certain dilemma when it comes to something like that. You can think, okay, you know, I don't like the idea that dangerous criminal, you know, cartel members, gang members can and do come across the border without our knowledge and do hurt people here. Or other, they don't even have to be part of some organized group like a cartel or gang, just criminals or just violent people. That happens. There are plenty of examples. You can, on one hand, be bothered by that while also feeling that there are families and people who you know are just looking for a better life and acknowledge that they deserve the right to come here too even if they can't make it through the citizenship process at least not initially you can feel both ways about it and through feeling the, both those ways through having you know those kind of inner dilemmas about something, you may actually find something closer to a solution, which might be, hey, let's, if somebody's coming here as a family, or if somebody's coming here, you know, maybe we should make it a little bit easier. If they're going to be here anyway, if somebody is going to come here anyway, they're going to live and work in the United States, and they're going to be undocumented, well, maybe we should just go ahead and make citizenship a little easier to obtain. I don't know. I've never had to obtain citizenship. I know there are immigrants who vehemently disagree, and their argument is sort of a, well, we had to work hard and wait to get our citizenship, so we feel everybody should. But, you know, it's one of those things where you can feel both ways about it. You can acknowledge that some bad things happen as a result of illegal immigration, while also recognizing that you know, we need to make it easier and safer for other people to get here, especially if they're coming from a difficult, a dangerous, a deprived place. You can feel both ways. And in fact, feeling both ways just means you're seeing things as they actually are. Because people who cross the border illegally, they're not all good. And they're certainly not all bad. And I have a friend. I'm not going to say his name. Because I, I know there's a couple ICE agents who listen to this show. I know they're big fans, so I'm not going to say his name, but I even have a friend. I don't see him or talk to him often, but you know, a great guy, talented guy. And he happens to be an undocumented immigrant who's been here a very long time. But I won't say anything else, just only that you know, I know somebody. Who isn't just, you know, because you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're... Uh, your cleaning lady or your landscaper, you'd lose them, you know, if, if they got deported. And it's like, well, but even your friends. Some of us have friends who fall into that category. And the last thing we would want is for them to be just thrown out. So that's why maybe the system does need to change, but we also have to account for the bad as well as the good. And I guess that's a good segue to just America. As I've said before, as I've said recently, as I've said many times, just it's the same thing with America, where we can recognize that our country does bad things and has done bad things. And we can also recognize the good. And one thing that I liked about that Ruben Guevara song 
<laughs> I say that like it's his song. But one thing I liked about his rendition of the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, is at the end, he's just giving his appreciation for things about the 1950s and 60s pop culture that he liked. He throws out Richie Valens, James Dean, drive-in movies. It's very much nostalgia. Uh, but he's, he's just saying the things that he, he likes that America has provided. But I, I thought it was significant that he also says his voice. In the same way that Caesar Milan, you know, he came here and became the dog whisperer. He came from the obscurity of, you know, you know, of Mexico, where he certainly wouldn't have become a celebrity dog trainer and written a best-selling book. Uh, so you can see where America provides people with opportunities, with a voice, people from elsewhere. And it might not make it easy for everybody. It might make things incredibly difficult for some people. But I think you do have to look at the people who have broken through. Or even the people who, not, not even the people who have found their voice. Even just the people who have found some sort of comfort here. You have to look at that. And I, I mean, the thing that I harp on always is, if you want to make positive change, look at the things that are already going right. And strengthen those. Don't destroy the entire foundation. And especially don't use some historical revisionism to try to say that the entire foundation is, you know, inherently corrupt and poisonous. Because if you do that, you have to look at the entirety of human history, which is filled with corruption, which is filled with poison of all kinds. Horror. Brutality. Just filled with it. We'd really, we'd have to go back to being amoebas. You know, it sounds extreme and ridiculous, but I believe that to be true. We would have to go back to being amoebas, drifting around in the ocean, if we wanted to just completely erase all of the corruption and poison in our history. And even then, I'm not convinced that amoebas weren't doing some of that too. I'm not convinced that the first amoeba to crawl up onto dry land didn't do so on the backs of some other amoeba who couldn't quite make it or who lost the race. You know, I'm not convinced. But then again, it's been a while since I brushed up on my amoebic history. I haven't read about the amoebas much lately. But, uh, you know, I've decided that, you know, the 4th of July is going to be a pure day for me. It's going to be just a pure day to appreciate what I like about America. And if somebody else doesn't like that, that's, that's totally fine. Exercise your own independence. Work it out. Figure it out. But I, I believe in strengthening what already works rather than dissecting and ripping something apart. Especially when that could very well result in a far greater catastrophe than anything else we've seen in a very long time. And we might as well become amoebas again, if that all plays out. But anyway, let's, let's go just back to the good stuff. 
Let's get back to the good territory, the territory I like. And in the same way that Ruben Guevara shouts out the things about America, American culture that he likes, I believe that's important to do right now. And I have to say, too, the older I get, the more that that line, that the more that the whole, the, the, you know, the flag was still there, the, or the, the proof through the night, is that, isn't that what it says? Uh, yeah, proof through the night. That line just continues to give me more and more chills the older I get. And that's what the theme of this show should be. I don't. Most of the songs I play aren't going to be American themed. I'm not going to make this a red, white, and blue episode. Although this show is a red, white, and blue show in its own way. But proof through the night. That's going to be on my mind the next couple of days. It's going to be on my mind for the foreseeable future. Because that phrase, that line, out of all the lines in the National Anthem, and I'm not here to be like, oh my God, the National Anthem. You ever actually listen to the words? You ever actually listen to the words in the National Anthem? I'm not here to to do that to you or to me. But I will say that line, proof through the night. When you think of the visual of that, and just the phrasing of that, that deserves to be in a National Anthem. And so does this next song in its own way. This deserves to be a national anthem of maybe your household. If countries can have a national anthem, so can your own domestic environment. So can your own home. And this song is by a guy named Johnny Treble, which I like more than the alternative, Johnny Bass. Hey, Johnny. Because I like treble. Bass is cool. I like the instrument, the bass. I like a good bass response, but I got really burned out on bass-heavy music by my early 20s, you know, kind of after that whole doom metal trend, and doom metal's cool, but it's just that when that became like the hot new thing and everybody was just trying to out-bass each other, and I was into that for, you know, for a little bit, but uh, that's also what, being into it is what burned me out, and then I, I just, I gained this newfound appreciation for treble. Sometimes you have to out-bass yourself to gain an appreciation for treble. But the name Johnny Treble is a great one because I appreciate treble. It's just a good name. But here's a song by Johnny Treble, Out of the Frying Pan. Again, this should be a theme. This should be a national anthem for your own home, for your own domestic lifestyle, for your entire lifestyle. It doesn't have to be at home. You can take this wherever you go. Out of the Frying Pan. Fire. Oh, that's where I tumble when I fell in love with you. 
because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. just one N, just one win. You get double the win with double the N, W-I-N-N. Sounds like a radio plug that I'm doing here, but it's not. I'm just telling you who the who the man was you just heard. And what I like about Ricky Wynn there is he has this kind of old man voice. And that's something you hear from artists back then is sometimes it'll be a, a teener pop song, but the guy will sound like a you know, a hunchbacked old man just creaking out some vocals. Not cranking, but creaking. And that song was Till Eternity, and it's a great one. And that, of course, followed up the Johnny Treble, Out of the Frying Pan, as the song says. Out of the Frying Pan, Into the Fire. Great lyric. And uh, what that makes me think of is, you know, what's that frying pan represent? What does that frying pan represent? And it represents order. 
That frying pan, it might seem hot. It might be uncomfortable. It might be cooking you up, but it's still, it's, it's all that is there to protect you from the fire. It is some kind of structure. It is some kind of order. And it might, yeah, it might be bad on an objective level. Being in that frying pan might not be the best place to be, but would you rather just be straight in the fire? Would you rather just be cooked straight? Some people would. Some people are looking for that right now. Some people aren't happy. Some people are scared. Some people see things about the world they don't like. They see, you know, they see themselves in the world because they don't like themselves very much. And so the easier, the easier path is often to lash out at the world. But, uh, you know, so in, in a lot of ways we see people jumping out of that frying pan, and I don't blame them. I don't blame people for wanting to get out of the frying pan because I find myself in that boat sometimes too. Now less than ever. Now I feel like I have a basic appreciation for the frying pan as well as the hand holding the handle of that frying pan. I trust in that hand. I, you know, I might be getting cooked no matter what happens in this life. I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to experience pain. But if I'm going to get cooked no matter what, I would rather trust in that hand. I would, I would, I would rather trust that they're going to cook me just right. I'd rather think of that hand holding the frying pan as a chef. A seasoned chef. <laughs> I don't uh, but, uh, you know, I'd rather have that than jump straight into the fire, personally, speaking for myself. But I see a lot of people who they just they see those flames and they think, I'm going to do something there. I'm going to fight those flames directly rather than hang out in this skillet. But that's, you know, that's up to them. But I can say that there's a lot of us who appreciate that frying pan. Whatever it is, whether it represents order, whether it represents just some sort of, some place to hang out. Some place to hang out and get cooked right. Some of us just want to get cooked right. Till eternity, though. That's a good one. Ricky Wynn, and we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction here, and it's going to be by the Stanley Brothers, well-known, really uh, just, this is just some some fundamental twang here. I'm not even going to try to call it anything, country, bluegrass, I don't know, I'm not a bluegrass fan, so I don't even know what qualifies as bluegrass or not, but I would say this just falls into the category of twang. And it's by the Stanley Brothers, very well-known, very well-respected group. And this is one of their more popular songs, from what I know. And it's The Rank Stranger. The Rank Stranger. And it has some great lyrics, too. One of them, To a beautiful home by the bright crystal sea. Followed by some beautiful day, I'll meet him in heaven. Referring to the strangers, of course. Uh, Some beautiful day, I'll meet him in heaven where no one will be a stranger to me. That's the nice thing. You know, if you see a stranger more than once, they're no longer really a stranger, even if you haven't been introduced to them. 
Because I remember everybody I see, more or less. I mean, every once in a while, someone will slip past my radar. And it's usually somebody who I should know. Usually it's like a friend of a friend or it's somebody that I might have even been introduced to. But I feel like, you know, when I'm when I'm in my kind of hyper-vigilant mode and I'm, I'm at the grocery store or walking around the neighborhood, I notice people and I remember them. I remember their faces. And uh, in that way, it's just, it's, it's strange to be a stranger. And this song, it's not that much different from like the doors. People are strange when you're a stranger. But that's the thing that's easy to forget, too. And I, I'm getting deja vu. I feel like I've done this before where I talk about the meaning of Doors lyrics. I like the Doors, though. You know, I was raised listening to the Doors. Uh, but that's it's a truth that you need to remember is that, you know, when you see strangers around, you have to remember that you are the stranger. They might all know each other. You might be in some Truman show. They might all be in on it, and you might be the stranger. I guess if it's a Truman Show thing, though, you're not really a stranger to them either. But you do have to keep your own... Just remember that you're the stranger, too. You're the rank stranger. And I assume rank here is, you know, it's an adjective. So it either means foul, like a bad smell. That's the one definition of rank. Or it could be... uh, I did find... actually looked this up. Uh, I used my one lookup that I allow per episode, my one search. And I found that there's a definition of the word rank that simply means total or bold or outright. So it might mean that, which is really cool, the outright stranger, the total stranger. That's me. That's how you remember that you too are a stranger to all the strangers you meet. Call yourself a total stranger. I'm a total stranger. Not even a little bit familiar. But it is funny how we coexist with all of these people that we see around who live in our community, and we know them well enough to recognize them, but yet we still consider themselves more or less a stranger because they're not part of our inner orbit. But this is a classic. Stanley Brothers, The Rank Stranger, To a Beautiful Home by the Bright Crystal Sea. And of course, in heaven, no one will be a stranger to me. That should be a relief. I wandered again Through my home in the mountains Where a new surly dawn 
we've all moved away Said the voice of a stranger To a beautiful home By the bright crystal sea Some beautiful day I'll meet It, it wasn't an audience you heard. It was my mini hands. It was my mini hands. My mini hands to hold many things, which I then drop so I can clap. So I can make the sound of an audience, but I'm just one man. You heard of the one-man band, you know, where it's like you tie a cymbal to your shoe and you play guitar while you... I don't even know. I don't even know what those guys do. I feel like it's always just someone playing guitar with like a cymbal strapped to their toe. But me, I just, I'm the one-man audience. And I can make the sound of a hundred people clapping with my mini hands, which is going to be the name of my autobiography, one of my mini autobiographies that I can write simultaneously with my mini hands. My mini hands. That's my story. You're not even going to be able to make autobiography jokes in the future. You know, we're already, you know, books are already, you know, not the most current medium. And because of that, as books kind of fade to the background, uh, you know, that nobody's going to be able to, you know, make fun of cliche autobiography titles anymore. That John Waters quote that I always make fun of, you know, if you don't got a Kindle, don't fuck. If they don't, <laughs> didn't even get it right, can't even make my own can't even make my own jokes right anymore. Look what they're doing to me. They they've gotten in my head, and I can't even make my own jokes right. Uh, if someone doesn't have their own jokes, don't fuck them. That's what John Waters said. Had nothing to do with books or Kindles. Or autobiographies. If someone doesn't have... No, that's what it is. That's the, that's the famous John Waters quote. It's not, if you go to someone's house and they don't have books, don't fuck them. It's, if you go to someone's house and they haven't written their own autobiography yet, don't even look at them. Let alone do anything else. <laughs> I feel that, you know, that's one of those areas, right? I don't, I don't feel deprived 
I don't feel deprived of anything really. But that is one thing where like if I wanted to get famous for one thing, it would be for just ripping apart that John Waters quote. As someone who reads books too. It's not like I'm anti-book. I'm anti-John Waters. I'm anti-John Waters. That's what it is. I'm not even anti-John Waters. I just think his quote is despicable. Degenerate. Um, but uh, today I went for a, almost a three-hour hike. I found this access to the Black Hills kind of near my house. There's an area here, not to be confused with South Dakota, but there's a, we have our own Black Hills here in Thurston County. And it's a very undeveloped wild area, and it turns out that the city purchased a a piece of land that's quite big, and it's used mainly by mountain bikers, but you can hike there. But it's very much a video game. It's very much life and death, because these mountain bikers are coming down the hill very quickly, and there are all these trails. I mean, it's really just this endless expanse of wilderness, and I'm I'm so delighted to have found it, especially because it's not an official park yet. Uh, but I went there the other day, and fortunately, this couple walking their dog were leaving, and I asked them about it, and they were like, well, just be careful of mountain bikers. If I didn't know that, I'd be dead right now, because these guys are, you know, I've only come into contact with a couple of them since I've got, been going there in the last few days, but they they come barreling down that hill, but it's sort of a might is right thing. It's their place, and whether you like mountain bikers or not, I think there are sometimes you just have to say, you know, hey... They're the guys with the bikes. It's sort of like if someone's pointing a gun at you. Or anything. <laughs> here I, I'm comparing mountain bikers to gun to crazed gunmen here. But it is sort of that thing where in that moment, you know, yeah, you don't want to be you don't want to ha- let them do something horrible to you, but at the same time there's always this dilemma where it's like might I don't believe that might makes right. But in the moment, might is right. And in this case, you know, I've got to get out of the way of these mountain bikers. or I'm toast. I'm toast. And things have worked out well because I took Batty there a few nights ago, the first night I went there. And fortunately, it was late in the evening and there was only one mountain biker who was an old man. But uh, I'm glad that it worked out that way because based on my experience today, Batty would not be safe with me. Even if I kept him on a short leaf, if, leash, even if I put him on a short leaf, um, but uh, you know, even on a short leash, I wouldn't be able to get him out of the way fast enough with the, the, the sheer speed and velocity of these downhill mountain bikers, especially on some of the side trails. So, but that said, without now that I know that I can't take Batty there, that's okay, and it can just be my own place to go and adventure. But I, I actually like that there's some sense of danger, and you have to be worried. You have to be fully in the moment, and you have to make sure that these guys, you know, don't hit you. You got to make sure that you don't get smacked by a mountain biker for their sake and your sake. But it's kind of cool because it's a moment where, you know, you're not being hunted by a predator or a crazed gunman, to use that again. But it is a situation where you have to be hyper vigilant and super aware of every little sound and every little movement because these guys can come around the corner very quickly. So it's kind of a fun little game, an awareness game, as well as a beautiful hike. But it really winds itself out there into the wilderness. And uh, today, when I was out there, I got a a bloody nose, or as some people call them, nosebleeds. 
and I've been getting a lot of them lately. Maybe it's allergies. Maybe I'm dying. No, I'm not. But uh, I got one today, and I didn't have anything to deal with it with. I didn't have any supplies. So what did I do? I just you know used my hand and my t- my shirt, and I was I ended up wearing this shirt that's kind of a nice shirt that I like, but that I've barely worn since I got it about a year ago. I know this diary entry is really interesting, but. So I ended up using this kind of like nice, this shirt that I kind of consider like, it's not fancy, it's just a t-shirt, but just like the knit of it and stuff. It's a very nice shirt in my opinion. And of course, the first day that I wear it outside, I I have to wipe blood all over it. But I kind of enjoyed that. Beyond the fact that I didn't really want blood dripping out of my nose, I kind of enjoyed that everybody else that I saw just came upon this guy with blood all over his shirt and hand and maybe some still on my face. Uh, but in particular, when I was coming back, I was going downhill, and I turned this corner, and there were these two little kids. And by little, I mean like one of them was eight years old, probably. This is just my my kid estimate, which gets more and more inaccurate as the years go by. It's one of those things, when you're a kid, you can gauge another kid's age pretty easily, within a year or two. Now it's like a five-year span, you know? Like, the, But I would guess that these kids were eight and 12, and they looked like they were brothers. They def- neither of them, the older one was not a teenager. You know, the younger one was pretty young. <laughs> That's my standard. That's my standard of measurement. That's my, those are the units of measurement that I use for kids. Pretty young and not quite a teenager. But so I turned this corner and there's these two kids completely by themselves in this deep wilderness. And of course, they come upon a guy who's covered in blood. <laughs> and they did, I said hi very casually and they were very cool. I don't know if they saw the blood. I like to imagine they did. I hope they did. If you know if if they're out in the woods, they should be paying enough attention to everything that they should have noticed the blood. Their parents should have taught them that. If you ever see a strange man in the woods and he's covered in blood, make sure you notice. Make sure you notice the blood that's all over this guy's shirt. I like to imagine their imaginations ran wild with it, though. Like, what happened? What'd that guy do? What'd that guy do? Where'd all that blood come from? Was he killing somebody? If they asked me, I would have said, I'm punching, I'm punching racist Nazis. Give me, a, give me my badge. Give me my merit badge. Praise me. Praise me. I'm out in these woods punching Nazis. Will you approve of me now? No, that'd be this is weird. This conver- this theoretical conversation no longer has anything to do with these kids. I'm projecting society onto these kids now. Isn't that what we all do? Isn't that what everybody says that we do? <laughs> I don't know. Enough of that. I just thought it was funny that we uh that I turned a corner blood all over my shirt and hand. And of course there's two little kids just riding their bikes up a hill. Hey, kids, you ever see blood before? You ever see blood? No, no. But, uh, you know, that was that's about little boys, but this next song is going to be about girls, and it's going to be by a girl, a girl singing about girls by Kathy Linden, and the song is You Don't Know Girls. If a girl is in love with you, And she says she'll make the whole world seem new If you think that this she could never do
He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. Goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye. Goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye. I'll see you again, but I don't know when. Goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye. Wind is a blowing. Long lonesome call Wheels are clicking Their way down the track Counting the days Till he's coming back Goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye Goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye Stop his roaming and come home to me. Give me a kiss for each tear and each sigh. Till then, my Jimmy, my Jimmy, goodbye. Goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye. Goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye. said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum.
you could probably tell, that was an entire Kathy Linden block. It wasn't just You Don't Know Girls from 1959. It was also two Jimmy songs. Just one Jimmy song wasn't enough for Kathy Linden. She had to have two. Remember Me to Jimmy. And two Jimmy is in parentheses. Just making sure that it's not somebody else who she's asking to remember her. She's asking Jimmy to remember her. Remember me to Jimmy. And that's also from 1959. And that one sort of had, you know, I played a song not that long ago. I'm blanking on what it was, but it had a very similar melody and tune to My Pony, My Rifle, and Me from Rio Bravo. And that song, Remember Me to Jimmy, it had a sort of a similar tune as well. So that seems to have been a common melody during that era. But uh, the third song, the, the second Jimmy song in that Kathy block, it was a Kathy block, but there were two Jimmy songs, and that last one was Goodbye Jimmy Goodbye. Just like there were two Jimmy songs, there were two goodbyes in that title. Goodbye Jimmy Goodbye. Just so you know. Just so you know, I'm saying goodbye, so I'm going to tell it to you twice. That one was from 62. So her final goodbye to Jimmy came three years after Remember Me to Jimmy. By 1962, she was finally ready to say goodbye twice. But we're going to follow that up with a, a country song. And as the title would suggest, it's a country song because the title is The Drunken Driver. And I like the definitive article in that. You know, earlier I played The Rank Stranger. The Rank Stranger by the Stanley Brothers. And this one is The Drunken Driver. Not just any. This is almost like an archetypal drunken driver. And it's by a guy named Ray Davis. And uh, the sound quality on this one's pretty rough. It's uh, the surface noise on the record is quite loud. But just treat it like it's a campfire. Just pretend you're just pretend you're you're sitting around the campfire, and all that surface noise, just the crackle and hiss of a, a nice bonfire. Just don't go drive drunk afterwards. Go hang out at that campfire. Just imagine that you're at that campfire, just having a great time. But you know, no matter how much you drink around that campfire, don't hop in your vehicle. And you know, it's one of those things where I get very preachy. It's very easy for me to get preachy. Have I driven drunk before? Yeah. You know, I've done it in my life as somebody who had a problem. There, It happened, but it was something that I did my best not to ever do. And I didn't succeed 100%. Uh, but, you know, if you're a drinker and you spend a lot of time around other hard drinkers... It's just amazing how often people do drive drunk. And not just that three beer amount. You know, but people will drive just full-on drunk. And of course they do. Their inhibitions are lowered. And if, if they're prone to self-destruction as it is, there's this high, there's this excitement that you get from doing that. And that's what I didn't get. And that's why I didn't do it. However, I, I, there were, you know, a couple times where I did. I don't even like to say it on here, but, I, you know, I'm not coming from a, a super high horse. I'm just saying that it does happen, but you shouldn't let it happen. And with all this talk of, you know, abolish the police, abolish the police, please, you know, all this shit. 
you know, are you ready to stop your friends from driving drunk? Because you're the one who's going to have to do it. And if you don't think it's a bad thing, if you think it's fine that your friends drive drunk, well, then you have no right to tell anybody anything. You have no right to tell people, oh, you have no right to call somebody racist. You have no right to call some, you know, big business owner a jerk off because he has 10 homes. You have no right to tell anybody how they should run their lives. You have no, no right to tell anybody how the U.S. political system should be reformed if you can't even stop yourself or your friends from driving drunk. And this is something that hits close to home because I know people. I can think of specific people who do this, who I know habitually drive drunk, people that I know in person who do this, and then they have these vehement political and social opinions. And I can't take them even remotely seriously because they can't even stop themselves from driving drunk. They get mad when a, a cop kills somebody, and it's obviously horrible. And people should be outraged about that. But what are you doing hopping in a car and basically becoming a, a, a random ricocheting bullet? And you're lucky you don't hit somebody. So yeah, I'm getting kind of preachy here. I just, just see this blatant hypocrisy. And it's not the good kind of Zen koan hypocrisy where you work through the dilemmas of life in order to gain some kind of equanimity some kind of you know zen understanding or lack of understanding for that matter some acceptance of everything you don't understand it's not one of those this is a very real practical practical hypocrisy the one where you tell other people how they should live their lives and then you go drink and hop behind the wheel but anyway I get, it gets me heated when I think about it because I, I just, I, you know, you got to work that out. If you can't stop driving drunk, well, then maybe you should just stop drinking. Start walking. It's fun. When I used to drink and walk home from the bar, it was so fun. It was also sad and, and weird, but it was a lot of fun, too. Um, but uh, Ray Davis, anyway, 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 I'm not judging anybody. I just have to tell people that. I just have to be vocal about that. Because especially, it came to mind when everybody was talking about abolishing the police, and they still are. It's like, if you don't want the police to be there to stop drunk drivers, you better be willing to take the keys away. And we know what can happen then. We know fights, we know violence can come from that. We know people will lose friends because of that. But if you're not willing to risk your friendship to stop a friend from driving drunk, or if you yourself can't even stop yourself, you have no right to, say, abolish the police. Take some responsibility. Come on. So Ray Davis with The Drunken Driver. Enough from me. Let's just hear it from this man. Let's gather around this campfire and hear one of those, one of those great campfire stories from Dad about the drunken driver, which should be a horror story when you think about it. Think about all the horror stories like, oh, this monster, this killer. People should tell horror stories around the campfire just about people driving drunk. And I know that's not fun for anybody, but hey, they should do it anyway. Now listen, you drunken drivers, while you're on earth you dwell. 
you never know when the time will come you'll have to say farewell to your dear old mother and sister though they may be miles away so don't be drinking whiskey while driving on your way. Friends, I'd like to tell you about an accident that I saw the other day. It would charm the heart of a man. It would teach him not to drink a drop while the steering wheel's in his hand. This awful accident occurred on the 20th day of May. And it caused two loving children to sleep now beneath the clay. These two dear kids walk side by side upon the state highway. Their loving mother, she had just died, but their father, he'd run away. They were talking of their lovely parents, how sad their hearts did feel. When around the curve came a speeding car with a drunk man at the wheel. This drunk man saw these two dear kids and he hooted a drunken sound saying, get out of the road, you little fools. And the car, it brought him down. The driver staggered from his car to see what he had done and his heart, it sank within him because he saw his own loving son. Such a morning from a drunken man I never saw before while the little boy in a pool of blood said my daddy's come home once more he then picked up his loving ones and he carried them to his car and kneeling on a running board why he prayed a drunkard's prayer saying oh dear god forgive me for this awful crime i've done and his attention then was called away by the words of his dying son Saying, take us to our mother, Dad. She sleeps beneath the ground. It was you and her we were talking about when your car, it brought us down. And please, dear Daddy, don't drink no more while driving on your way. But meet us with our mother dead in heaven some sweet day. He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. Yeah, now that the PSA is over, now that the public service announcement against drunk driving is over, we can move on. We can move on with our lives. The song, it sort of reminded me, not, you know, it didn't sound like it, but just the content with a little twist in the story. It kind of reminded me of Porter Wagoner, Carroll County Accident, classic country song, classic drunk driving song, Carroll County Accident. And, you know, that's one of the only genres that can really deal in a subject like drunk driving. Country music, it's pagan. Because drunk driving is pagan. It's one of the bad sides of down-home paganism, you know? Enough about that, though. Enough of the PSA. When I say the PSA's over, it's over. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to play uh, a couple more songs. We're going to play 
few more songs here to close out this 4th of July Eve. Not quite a bash. Not much of a party today. And I didn't want it to be a party, and it's definitely not. <laughs> so I'm glad, that, I'm glad that I didn't announce this as a party. Even though it's 4th of July Eve, I'm glad I didn't give anybody any kind of false expectation by making this out to be a party. And I started this episode, too, saying, you know, oh, you know, highlighting the things about America I like. And then, you know, half hour later, it's like, drunk driving is how awful. Never drive drunk, you know. It's like sometimes that's just the direction things go. Uh, but we're going to play a couple songs here by a guy named Mike Yeager. Not to be confused with the alcohol. Not to be confused with... Uh, Jaeger Meister, because it's Y-A-G-E-R. There's no J's in this Jaeger, but it's still a phonetic Jaeger. And the first song is what made me a Mike Jaeger fan, and it's The Invader. It's from 1968, another country song. It's, you know, at first glance, it's sci-fi. You know, it's sort of almost a pulpy, but it's chilling. It's almost a pulpy, I mean, this could really be a Misfits song. And he kind of has a Danzig sort of quality to his voice, except 10 years earlier, 1968. But if you put this to distorted guitars and drums, this could really be a Misfits song in the best possible way. And uh, his voice does kind of have a Danzig tonality to it. And the lyrics sound a lot like Misfits lyrics. And I bet Danzig never even heard this guy. I, I would say it's highly unlikely, highly unlikely that Danzig ever heard Mike Yeager, but The Invader very well could pass for a Misfits song. And uh, But at first glance, it's kind of sci-fi. It's got kind of a sci-fi horror feel, but with a chill. Not just a cheap comic book thrill, but a deeper chill. Except, like, listening back over the years, and this has been a favorite for many years that I've been waiting to play, and maybe I've even, I even... I'm very well, very well may have played it before. I don't remember it, though. Uh, but listening back over the years, I realized, oh, it's about infidelity, where he's in someone else's home, and he's phrasing it as if he's this alien invader, but the song is actually about him cheating with a, a woman who's already involved. At least that's what I think. That's my interpretation. And just like song lyrics are poetic and therefore open to interpretation, even your interpretation is open for artistic interpretation. There's even some artistic license with your own interpretation of art. It never ends. It never ends. But uh, that's going to be followed up. The Invader is going to be followed up with a more of a, a rocking boogie song. And if I wasn't already a fan of Mike Yeager, I might not ever play this song because it's just so out of character. But I love it. It's got a great message, and it's going to bring us back to where we should be on this here Independence Day Eve. It's going to bring us back to that affirmative ascendant place, which is the only way I can go. It's the only way we can go. It's what we got to do. We got to exist in the affirmative and the ascendant. We have to ascend and walk that walk, talk that talk, as you can imagine from a title like that. That's very much what it's about, but it also involves your own genealogy, your own family background, and the people that you came from. And you should be able to look at those people, and even if you don't, even if they weren't perfect, 
the people that you came from gave you something, especially if they walked that walk and talked that talk. But first, we're going to have to listen to a story of the invader. I'm the invader, an alien being. I've got no heart, I've got no soul, but an evil mind. If you saw me, I look like any other man. I might live down the street, and you might call me friend. But there's one thing for certain, and it's crystal clear to me. I'll be somewhere searching out the lonely. I'm the invader, an alien being. I got no heart, I got no soul, but an evil Seeking out the lonely every night No one knows where I come from Or where I'll go from here You might stay home with her tonight And show her that you care You could come home unexpected Trying to beat that rising sun Two shadows there in a dim lit room And watch me start to run I'm the invader Got no heart, got no soul, but an evil mind. I'm the invader, an alien being, and I'm seeking out the lonely every night. The admiral came and he said, "Your people are insane." He said, "What's the matter with them?" He said, "Don't they understand this is an impossible situation?" Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. I come to you from a very long line I come through the heads who didn't waste no time Wondering and worrying about things like most folks do Oh, that wall, he could talk that talk. 
card Make it light on yourself and don't take it too hard When I get that moving on her Got to be on my way Got to maintain a family name My granddaddy's blood is still flowing in my veins It's gonna take a walk and talk and wonder to make me safe Fantastic lyrics all around there, especially the invader. I've got no heart, I've got no soul, but an evil mind. Seeking out the lonely. But that first verse, I even had to write it down just to just because you know, you hearing it from the wonderful singer isn't enough. You gotta hear it from me too. But I just for my own sake, as a mantra. It's worth repeating. You wouldn't know me if you saw me. I look like any other man. I might live down the street, and you might call me friend. But there's one thing for certain, and it's crystal clear to me. I'll be out there searching out the lonely. What a fantastic lyric. And the little twist at the end, it's very subtle. It took me years. No joke, it took me years. And I wouldn't say it was careful analysis, but it took me a a sudden moment. I had an epiphany, let's say where when he talks about the guy coming home early to beat the morning sun, and then he sees two shadows in a dim-lit room, and one of them starts to run, it makes it clear, oh, he's he's a, a, a black magic cheater. He's helping a woman cheat on her, her man, and he's viewing himself as, as an evil, soulless, heartless entity who seeks out lonely women, and therefore he might as well be an alien invader. Because if you're indecent and immoral, you might as well be an alien invader. I like that. And then, of course, I'm, you know, on a positive kick, the next song where it's just, you know, he knew what to do and he knew how to do it right. The part two, my granddaddy's blood is still running in my veins. You know, he, he speaks very highly of his grandfather and his father and... You know, I, I just, I like that sort of genealogical that, you know, I was talking about the ancient vein a little bit ago, a couple weeks ago, just sometimes you get this feeling where you just feel like there is some sort of ancient vein and no doctor would be able to find it, but it's there and it's pumping some sort of ancient, you know, if it's not blood, it's in your blood. There's part of that is in your blood that there's some sort of energy. There's something that can be activated and, uh, you know, your granddaddy's blood is still running in your veins, but it goes back even further. It goes back to the very beginning. Because that's the incredible thing about all of us right here, right now. All of us in America, but across the entire world. Is we can all trace ourselves back to the earliest man. Whether you believe in Adam and Eve, doesn't matter. We can all trace ourselves back to an amoeba. Amoeba and Eve. Not stupid. But, uh, but really, that's an incredible thing. And I mean, it's... 
It's why we are all connected biologically. We can all trace back to a common ancestor somehow, somewhere. And, you know, while we sometimes pick up on traits that we share with our, our own ancestors that we know of, our grandfathers, you know, you might see a picture of your great-grandfather and something might resonate with you. You might recognize part of yourself. I have a cousin in Sweden, and he uh, sent a picture of... Uh, he, it, there's multiple greats. It's like great-great-grandfather, maybe. And I saw a picture of him, and I didn't recognize myself, but I just had this feeling where I was like, oh, yeah, he's a Stenfelt, which was our original name. He, he's a Stenfelt. And he, just seeing his face, there was... I, there was a, a recognition inside of me. And I don't just get that. It's not, it's not something that I project onto things. It's something that happens. And seeing your ancestor can do that for you. And what it is that does that, I think, is that same thing that's inside of you. It is that ancient vein. But it's not just your DNA. It's not just your identity, your last name, your family tree. It, it also goes back to your abilities, or rather your capabilities. And because we all can trace ourselves back to early man, the earliest man, we have made it. Our DNA has made it, but something beyond that in our spirit has made it as well. And when that becomes activated, when you get that sense for something ancient inside of you, nothing can really hold you back. You can die, you know, and you can die without passing your genes along, and that can stop your branch from continuing. But still, as long as you are alive, that's there, and you can use that, no matter what the situation is. And as things get chaotic, that's going to kick in. As our world, as America goes into this, as America hops out of the frying pan and straight into the fire to reference that, to call that back. As that happens, whether it's permanent, whether it's temporary, as our society jumps out of the frying pan and into the fire, that's going to activate something very deep and ancient. And it could be what ensures your survival. It could be what ensures the survival of the things that you like. But you have to clear a path and allow yourself to feel that when it kicks in. And I still feel like I only get glimpses of it. But even just glimpses of that is so incredibly powerful. I really can't even describe it other than to say I feel like there is this invisible ancient vein running through me. But, uh, you know, it's about time, you know, here we are about 80 minutes. We got to close this out. I've got to close out this 4th of July Eve, because it won't be a 4th of July Eve episode if we keep going past midnight, even though that's three, hour, three, three hours and five minutes away. But still, I could easily see myself going on for another three hours and five minutes. So at some point, you got to stop me. At some point, you got to stop me. But uh, we're going to close out here with a song by a guy named Steve Wilson, which is just a great American name. The great American name. <laughs> if I had to come up with a single, if I had to say, what's a name that fully encompasses your idea of an American man? Steve Wilson would definitely be a contender. Steve Wilson, simple. 
And uh, this song is called Written in the Stars. And that got me thinking, you know, when I chose to play this song to close it out, it got me thinking about how each state in in the United States is represented on the flag by a star. And I've never thought very deeply about that. And maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should stop right now. But really, there's something occult about that. To have each state in the Union represented by a celestial body, a star. That's pretty cool. If nothing else, that's cool. That we think of our states, the pieces of the puzzle that make up the country, that we think of those, we, rep- we represent those on our flag as these little celestial bodies. And that's accurate because this is our universe. Yeah, we have a whole world, we have a whole earth, and we know what space is. (laughs) You know, unlike our ancestors, we know all about space. And we tell everybody how the universe is expanding and contracting and, oh, the Big Bang started it all. We know, guys. We figured it all out. You know, but really, like, we, even though we have this idea of, of something larger than our country, in so many ways, America is our universe. And it's only fitting that that's represented by these stars in the form of states. And we do treat states like they are individual planets. You know, you look at Star Wars and the, the planets are like, they're all one terrain. Like, here's the ice planet, the desert planet, the forest planet. The weird cyber techno Death Star planet. You know, we have this tendency, you know, to, in, in sci-fi, we tend to depict entire planets as like one thing. It's all one environment. But in the U.S., there, you know, that's an individual state can, of course, have desert and forest and different, you know, an individual state can have a varied environment, too. But we have a tendency to kind of think of our states almost like those planets, where they each have a very unique characteristic, and not just environmentally, but also culturally. And that's true. You know, they're... Each place does have its own culture, and in that way, it is, it, you know, it really is its own celestial body. Each state is its own celestial body. So I like that. I like that we have represented the states as stars. It's cute, but it's also grandiose in the best possible way. Let's just say grand. Maybe, maybe the best possible way of calling something grandiose is just to say that it's grand, like the grand old flag. But Steve Wilson, a good all-American name with a song written in the stars. And maybe that's a good way of just closing this out. Written in the stars. Because isn't that how the story plays out in America? Everything takes place within these celestial bodies. Within these places that we deeply identify with these places where we play out our own connections to the earth and to our people. Because those are the places at the end of the day that we love. Even if you take someone, even if someone moves to another state, they move to another part of the world, there's a part of them that will always feel some connection to that place where they came from, that planet, that star that we call a certain state. Because I know I feel that way. I've never left Washington State, and I honestly never plan on it. Who knows what'll happen, but 
I never plan on leaving Washington State because it is my star. I can look at the American flag and I can see, you know, I can choose any of the stars I want, really. It's probably one of the bottom ones because it was one of the last states. But still, I can pick any one of those stars and say, that's my star. And it's part of this larger universe that I exist in that is America. And like the universe, maybe you do manifest parts of it, if not the whole thing. Maybe the way that you think about it does sort of create the universe that you experience. And I do believe that's true in America. I believe that the America that you look at, the one that you envision, whether it's a reality now, a reality later, or just a fantasy, but if you envision that, I do feel that that becomes your America. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners saying was, tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. until they died. 
their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand and walk this land with me And walk this lovely land with me Though I am just a man When you are by my side With the help of God I know I can be strong Two. 